Okay, so tonight we have the honor and privilege of hearing from Paul and Leanne Suji. They've been married for 24 years. They have three boys, Tyler, he's 18, off to college, Caden, he's 16, and Grant is nine? Nine. <laughs> um, anyhow, they're an awesome family, really good friends of ours, and tonight they're going to be speaking to us um, on one mind resolving conflict right sorry <laughs> that's why you gave me notes this is the difference between my wife and i like i overly use my notes and i say it's like, fine i got it and she's just, woo, just which i love my wife okay, wait <laughs> give me that handling and resolving conflict in marriage welcome paul mansuji with me Good evening, everybody. How are you guys doing? Uh, before we start, let's uh, open a word of prayer, please. Um, Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this evening. Thank you for just making allowances in our time to be here and to talk about the important things of our lives and these marriages that are represented here. Father, use uh, Leanne and myself in any way that you can. And uh, just thank you for this time again. And we just pray for these things in your son's name. Amen. Okay. This is Paul's speaking debut, his public speaking debut. <laughs> My wife is the pro for sure. No, I'm not. Okay. I've just done yes, it before, are. that's all. All right, so uh, this evening's... We are. But we came to mutual understanding already, yes. so we're good. There you go, lesson number one. Okay. First of all, one mind, handling and resolving conflict in marriage. Uh, the title is One Mind Handling and Resolving Conflict in Marriage. Um, Leanne and I have been married for 24 years in December. We've been together for roughly 27 years. Um, but there's a huge difference between enduring a marriage and working on a marriage. Enduring a marriage is not the same as working on a marriage. Um, there's been a lot to work on because we came from two different worlds. The world I came from, uh, father was a first, mother and father were first generation immigrant family. Um, they started with nothing. Um, they owned a landscaping business, so we all worked all the time. Um, anytime that I wanted to see my father in the summer times, I can remember even being seven, eight years old, it was spent mowing the lawn in the summer times and raking leaves and doing all that stuff. Um, let's see, my parents loved us the best way they knew how. Uh, my dad was a survivor from the war. He was a violent man uh, when he got angry. He loved me, but the way he resolved anything was through intimidation and fear. Um, he died at a pretty young age of cancer when I was 12. And at the time, I was left with a lot of mixed emotions from his uh, love and his violent outbursts and his physical abuse. Um, I didn't know Jesus at the time, and I had very little support. Uh, they say that during times of high stress or pressure, 
We tend to default to what we saw or experienced in our homes of origin, even if we have a different set of values now. Um, and what I saw and experienced in regards to conflict resolution growing up was just pure control through fear and intimidation. And the world I came from was very different. Um, I came from a first century family of California, steeped in heritage, heritage and legacy. I grew up in a wealthy family, and what I remember was a magical childhood with parties and adventures and fun and laughter. I had very little responsibility, and I never wanted for anything. We had a beach house and a snow house, and we traveled the world together on cruise ships. I don't remember any conflict whatsoever, ever. Um, my parents really loved me very much and introduced me to Jesus when I was a little girl and taught the Bible to hundreds of kids in the 70s, and many came to the Lord. My dad was a Bible teacher, and he taught us all the word. Um, but we got caught up sort of in the wrong side of evangelical Christian culture at some point down the line, and um, it was marked by an outward appearance of like an outward kind of spirituality with walls and masks being the main ingredient. So financial success and highly controlled and obedient children and an intact marriage, regardless of the quality of the marriage, just as long as it was intact, um, those were proofs of a life of being a good Christian. It was high control, no vulnerability. Outside of the cup, clean, the inside of the cup a mess, if you know the verse that Jesus used to describe the Pharisees. Our life imploded right when I met Paul. I'm sorry. <laughs> bad timing. Very bad. <laughs> and uh, it was a quiet, private implosion, and no one knew, and therefore no one was really there to lean on for support or encouragement. What I saw and experienced in regards to conflict resolution in my family growing up was keep up the appearance and keep the peace at any cost. And when a marriage hits rough spots, it's tempting to look at each other and say, what is wrong with you, right? Then what we've learned along the way is that a different question is much better, and that question would be, what happened to you? And this has helped us to see each other with empathy and compassion and to build each other up and encourage each other instead of tear each other down. And what we learned from the start is that each of us individually carry that power to build or tear down. And whenever you hit conflict, that's a moment when you're building or you're tearing down. Okay, so the foundation of a marriage is being committed to building, not tearing down your marriage. This is true because building a marriage is something you do together for each other, for the glory of God. Enduring a marriage or tearing down a marriage is something you do for yourself uh, because you think your needs matter the most. Um, your need to win, your need to be right, your need, uh, need to tend to your priorities. Um, this is a guiding life verse that has calibrated our marriage. It's from Proverbs 24, three through six. By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established, and by knowledge the rooms are filled. With all precious and pleasant riches, a wise man is strong, and a man of knowledge increases power. For by wise guidance she will wage war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. And so the title of this series is What I Wish I Knew from the Start. As you know, so Paul and I 
took some time and we thought about what are the four things that we wish we knew from the start. And we're going to share those with you if that's all right. Um, the first one, the first thing that we wish we knew from the start is resolving conflict in marriage requires patience. And every marriage has, every marriage in every home actually has some kind of system, like an ecosystem where all the parts are relating within the whole. And the Bible explains in contrast two systems in 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. By the way, listen for the two systems. I know everyone's heard this verse a million times and it's been at everyone's wedding, but really listen to the two systems in it, okay? I'll start over. I'm like a teacher right now. Um, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So if we break it down into what is the system of love, we'll see that the system of love is marked by um, love is patient, kind, rejoicing with the truth, protective, trusting, hopeful, and persevering. And uh, we sort of have uh, two marriages that we're contrasting today, the we marriage and the me marriage. So the we marriage operates within God's system of love. And the common purpose in a we marriage is glorifying God with our lives rather than focusing on getting our own personal needs met. So when we worship God with our lives together, we'll find that common purpose and that goal in marriage. And it brings much harmony and much joy. And we all know this. If you're married here tonight, you know that marriage does highlight our selfishness. It just does. But we grow through it and are sanctified and brought closer in our pursuit of God when we're in the system of love, God's love. And it's important to remember that God's system of love starts by being patient. That's the first, and the first starting point is patience. And, you know, we wanted to give you an example of some of the things that we're talking about right now and not just keep them sort of ethereal or like a principle. And when I sat down and thought about an example of patience, I really have to say that my husband has the patience of Job with me. Um, to put it very simply, I had a very difficult time leaving and cleaving very difficult time. It's still a struggle for me. Um, Paul has been patient for literally years, 27 years, 24 that we've been married. I've struggled with a big distraction, if not at times preferring their family, um, their, their needs to his, and it was wrong. He has been so kind and honoring to my family. When my family went down in the ditches, he would go down in them with me, with them, I would say mostly he has been persevering with me and so kind to me and waited for me to come around. He gave me both high challenge and high support, meaning he kept pushing me to God's best. He didn't just like let me be. And um, he, didn't also, he didn't let me compromise on what God's design is to leave and cleave. And he kept inviting me in. Um, but he's been tender with me through it. So on, by contrast, a me marriage, um, operates within the system of unlove. Uh, the system of unlove, what does it look like? Well, number one, it's envious. Uh, number two, it's boastful. Number three, it's proud. And number four, is, it's dishonoring. Uh, next is it's self-seeking. It's easily angered. It's a record keeper of wrongs. And it's delighting in evil. 
And the system of love is pure selfishness. It's essentially pride. Um, there's no common purpose. Instead, we are in conflict with one another, each trying to get our own needs met. When we worship self with our lives, we find antagonism that brings much strife and frustration. Um, marriage does highlight our selfishness, and in a system of unlove, we miss the growth and become more separate than ever in our own pursuit of getting our own needs met. met. Okay, I'm going to try to do this next part without laughing too much. <laughs> this is my example, and one area where I struggle with is when I clean out the garage, and men, are you with me right here? I need some support. <laughs> Um, as men can attest to, it's our last area that is sacred to us, our ball, a place that has some order and cleanliness. I hear her laughing. One, two. Okay. Well, guess who comes in and messes up the order and cleanliness? I'll give you maybe one or two guesses. Our wives and our kids. Now I see more men laughing. Thank you very much. I've literally had visceral reactions and thrown anything into the trash can when my wife is use the garage as her dumping grounds and basically cause chaos. But, I just run to the market and as I'm driving back home, I see all my things in the trash. <laughs> it's kind of comedy. I wish there was a camera on me throwing things away <laughs> into the thing. But all joking aside, this has caused me to sin against Leanne and the family. Um, I would get on my soapbox and question the sanity of everyone not named Paul and why can't they uh, maintain a clean garage like I did. Um, ultimately, having a clean garage is a good thing, but in these moments, um, I elevate self above the sanctity of our, my home, and that's on me. I place the clean garage above peace in my relationship with Leanne, uh, peace within the context of my family. Um, my thoughts of having perfect order within the garage has hi highlighted the me in marriage, not the we, um, which delves right back into the characteristics found in the system of unlove, which I'll repeat again, is it's envious, it's boastful, it's proud, it's dishonoring, it's self-seeking, it's easily angered, um, a record keeper of wrongs, and delighting in evil. And Andy, if I can have the other art up there. Uh, we made a little chart. We actually asked Amanda Cox to make this, and she's such an awesome artist. She always does my art when we talk, and I really do appreciate it. Didn't she do a good job? Um, so this is contrasting the me marriage with the we marriage. So on the left-hand side, you'll see the me marriage, and it's within that system of unlove that we talked about, and it's mainly a horizontal relationship. So what's going back and forth is really showing a win-lose dynamic. And let's be honest, no one likes to be a loser, right? Also, it's a bargaining kind of thing. Like, I'll give you this if you give me that. It's based, its foundation is selfishness and it's pride. But by contrast, when we go over to the we marriage, you see that it's a triangle with Jesus at the top. And you can see how it's built within the system of love. And the closer that you get to each get to Jesus, the closer you end up to each other. That's working within God's design. And it's uh, mar marked by deferring one to another and support and encouragement. Does that make sense? Can you guys see it? Yeah. I love how Amanda helped us write that out. But, you know, if you go back to the beginning when we first started talking, without the Lord, what you had is Paul in times of stress with reverting to his childhood and what he saw or experienced, which would be pure control through fear and threat. 
And then you'd have me on the other side in times of stress, just going back to what I knew. And that would be keeping up appearances and keeping the peace. So you can see without the Lord, we were sunk. Like, you know, he thinks I'm wrecking his life because he wants to blow everything up. And I want to, I think he's wrecking my life because I want to keep the peace. So it's kind of interesting when you realize that you, you know, I always tell Paul, you chose this. You thought this would be fun. I remind him of that all the time. It's been, been a blast. <laughs> Aren't you having fun? Okay. <laughs> I get to speak and do all these wonderful things. Yes. Here we go. What we wish we knew from the start, number two. Resolving conflict in marriage requires repentance. And here's a quote I like to share. Couples don't fall out of love. They fall out of repentance. Uh, I want to share a verse with you that drew me to repentance. It's from Proverbs 25, 28. A man who cannot rule his own spirit is like a city whose walls are broken down. Um, another version says, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Um, there was a time in my marriage, or our marriage, that I wasn't able to see. I'm already talking about me. Um, I, <laughs> there was a time in our marriage that I wasn't able to rule my spirit as it relates to having self-control. Uh, my walls were broken down, so to speak, which left me vulnerable to the schemes of the enemy. Um, when I didn't have accountability, it was easy for me to let my anger take control of my reaction to anything that offset the normal course of our lives. Um, fill in the blank. Whether it was misbehaving children, um, being late to church. Um, life is not perfect, and circumstances, as we all know, change at any moment. Uh, my lack of control over my anger started to affect our marriage, and not in a good way, and the Lord really convicted me. Ultimately, our walk is not perfect. Um, it's a sanctifying process. We all have our setbacks. Um, we should always be trying to build a wall of protection in our lives to strengthen it from the attacks of the enemy. Um, but if we're characterized by tearing down of that wall of protection rather than building up of that wall of protection, then we should carefully examine our hearts. Um, we realist realistically will have small fractures in that wall of protection throughout our time here on earth. And we really do need to understand that from both sides. Um, we can all fill in the blank as to what allows our flesh to respond in a negative way. Mine just happens to be anger, which is very visible in its appearance. You guys can fill it in, both husbands and wives, right? Um, examine your heart and understand what stands in your way of maintaining that wall. Um, I was ultimately supposed to be a protector of my wife and family, and I was the one who was most vulnerable to the schemes of the enemy. And with my walls of protection broken down, our family was a huge open target. And what we've learned and what we're still learning is that repentance means coming clean. It means being sorry. It means admitting your wrongdoing and taking direct steps to change how you're living your life. It involves bringing to light that which you've chosen to keep, keep hidden, confessing any wrongdoing you've committed against God, like it says in Psalm 51.4, we sin against him first, and your spouse. It's a vital part of maintaining trust in the marriage and the relationship. And I've seen this humility so much in the life of my husband. I just am very touched by how much I've gotten to see him grow. We kind of grew up together. And uh, he really is a man of humility. And I'm really proud for you. And uh, he's quickly to say that he's wrong and um, ask for forgiveness now. And I just, um, I'm so thankful because I'm trying to raise three men here. You know, I have three boys. And it's powerful when their dad knows how to say I'm sorry and I was wrong. Um, there is a quote that we love by Timothy Keller. The gospel is this. 
We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. All right, so what we wish we knew from the start, number three, which is resolving conflict in marriage requires forgiveness. So this may surprise you guys, but Leanne and I have learned that over the years that anger shows us where the problem is and leads to forgiveness if we follow it properly down the path to understanding. We sort of want to ask you and wonder to ourselves, have you ever really considered the fact that anger displays what's important to someone? We have learned that when either of us become angry, we're defending something. This can be a very good thing in our life, or it could be a very sinful thing in our life. For example, when anger is a good, righteous anger, it can be to protect a godly principle or a person. If someone is sinning against God or sinning against us or someone we love, we can become filled with righteous anger. When someone violates God's ways, anger can rise up in us, and that is righteous anger. Because we're getting angry because what's happening is violating God's ways, and it's violating potentially his children. Examples of this could be lying, slander, causing someone harm. This is just a personal aside, but I do think that we have missed it sometimes when we think we're not supposed to be angry. There are some things that should make us angry. The, the really important point is that in the Bible it says, be angry yet do not sin in your anger. I'll repeat that again. We've said that righteous anger is most often defending something good. It's important to say that if we do become angry and defending something good, God specifically tells us not to sin in our anger. Sometimes defending something can also highlight selfishness. When self or pride rises up, we know that this kind of anger is not of God. So we have this gnarly big chart, but um, it has five things that can ruin a marriage. And what is really important to us is that you all know that all five things are rooted in pride. So the first, do you want to read them? Because I'm kind of- I love to, Leanne. That was the correct answer. <laughs> the first one is uh, criticism. When you attack the person and not the problem. Uh, number two, contempt. You are disgusted with your spouse and are condescending toward them. You try to shame your spouse or control them. Number three, defensiveness. You defend yourself and keep the conversation on your spouse and their problems. I want to do the next one real quick. I thought so, you said I was supposed okay. to do all five, Leanne. Defer to me, honey. Okay, so number four, I just want to talk about this one. It's called stonewalling. And let me tell you something. Stonewalling is really, really rough because what it does is it takes out the two of you working something together. And if you think about it, even driving here tonight was a series of small little explosions in the car, right? And so, you know, what, what's ideal is that you can speak to each other, work through it, get to the other side. So ideally what happens is there's a small rupture repair, small rupture repair, small rupture repair, and you're growing stronger and understanding each other through it and hopefully asking for forgiveness. But if you stonewall someone, you really remove yourself from that situation and that person is now isolated and you know the rupture's coming. And it's just going to be huge because you're saving it all up. And then you don't even know if you're even fighting about the original thing anymore, right? So stonewalling is a really tough one. And I just wanted to comment on that. But now back to you. 
You're so generous. <laughs> bitterness. You can go back to a defining issue of bitterness and marinate it, and then by the end of the day, be so off, so angry, so unruly, so harsh. You can get yourself so off your game by tonight that anything is possible in terms of what you may do to blow up your relationship. So like we said, all five are rooted in pride. And where married relationships get snagged up is when we defend our selfish desires and attack each other instead of defending precious values and attacking the problem together. A great question to ask yourself when you're angry is, uh, what am I defending? And what am I attacking? If you are defending your selfish desires, it is sin. If you're defending a godly or an important issue, it is righteous. Righteous anger attacks the problem, not the person. And sinful anger attacks the person, not the problem. So I'd like to share a verse. Uh, Ephesians 4, 30 through 32 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And the verse closes with, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. And Leanna and I have this mantra. We can't get to solution phase until we have MU, mutual understanding. He texts, he texts me sometimes and says, you know, MU, and then he'll tell me what he wants to say. <laughs> <laughs> this and is, then I say MU back and tell him what I want to say. <laughs> this has been hugely important, getting to the place where we can comb out the anger and see what is there. An important way to get to mutual understanding is to keep talking until both parties are heard. This does take selflessness and it does take time. So the three keys to mutual understanding, what are they? The first one is listen to understand, not to reply. That's really hard for me to do. I'll keep quiet on that one. <laughs> uh, number two, repeat back. What I think I hear you saying is, and I think this is Chad's favorite one, <laughs> assuming you know what the other person is saying. Number three, be committed to not moving towards an action or solution until both parties are confident that mutual understanding has been reached. MU, I love it. So after talking things through, it's time to humbly ask for forgiveness if your anger is rooted in self or if you've sinned in your anger. So we're gonna do a little exercise right now. If everyone could stand up. We should stand up too. Okay, start massaging your cheeks and get ready. Okay, are we ready? Take a deep breath. Some of us haven't done this in a long time. Ready? Okay, take them through it, Paul. I don't know what you do it. I forgot to grab it. Okay, you're going to say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Okay, good job. You just have to practice that so we're ready. We, we know we can do it if we need to do it. So there's something kind of interesting about forgiving someone if you think about it. You know, all of the world religions would recommend forgiveness. Even health magazines and uh, gurus would recommend forgiveness. They say that it's good for your heart, it's good for your soul you know, um, holding on to anger is like holding on to a burning coal with the intention of throwing it at someone, you're the one who gets burned, all of those things. But whether or not it's good advice or it may be good for you, 
the reason as a believer that we would forgive is rooted in scripture and really only God and God's word has the motivation for why. And so if we look at this, we see in scripture, it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And then it goes on to say the why. So when we say, well, why should I? I, I don't deserve this, blah, 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 blah. Say, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So that's the key is to remember who we are, remember what Christ has done for us, and remember how forgiven we are. All of us need to move through the anger, comb through it and see what is in it, and then keep moving through it to repentance and forgiveness. So just to recap where we've kind of gone so far, if you look for kind of a thread, we've noted that conflict resolution begins with love, God's love, and it's fueled by humility, and it always leads to repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation. And so moving on to number four, what we wish we knew from the start, which is resolving conflict in marriage requires humility to ask for help. Uh, the Bible says there's a victory with many counselors, and there's four verses from Proverbs I'd like to share. First one is Proverbs 11:14, Where no counsel is, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there is safety. Proverbs 15:22, Without advice, plans go wrong, but with many advisors they succeed. Proverbs 20:18, Plans succeed through good counsel. And the last one, Proverbs 12:15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. So as we've said, resolving conflict in marriage, re marriage requires humility and wisdom to seek wise counsel and counselors. And we want to tell you about a time when seeking out help saved our marriage. Um, there was a time when Paul became so discouraged and defeated as a father. He felt he had given all he had to raise our boys and things were not working out the way he had hoped or expected. He was so defeated and discouraged and frustrated. And of course, this did affect our marriage deeply. He wouldn't listen to me and the way he saw it, he had given it his best shot for a kid who grew up in a violent home with a dad that had died at 12 and he'd had been on his own ever since. He came to this conclusion alone in his head that he did not have what it takes to raise our boys. And that even though he loved us, he needed to throw in the towel. And when he told me he needed to leave us, of course I was devastated and confused. We had essentially grown up together and built a life together and all of a sudden it was over. I knew he wasn't rejecting me or the kids but the feeling I had in my heart was that I was not worth it and that he had lost confidence in us being able to figure things out because we'd always figured everything out together. And I had a feeling in my heart I wasn't worth it um, and that, that we were not going to be in this life together like I'd always believed. And we were sort of just lying there kind of both broken on the floor. And it reminded me, you know, when Caden, my middle son, um, when he was born almost 16 years ago, um, on, Paul almost died of a brain infection. And at that time, 
the doctors told me that I really needed to consider if I was going to be raising the boys alone because he um, could die, or if he didn't die, he'd have um, brain damage, chronic pain, and, and just not be back to himself. And he had a full recovery. He's way sharper than I am. But, um, but when he was sick years ago, I had contemplated uh, raising the boys alone, but that wasn't by a choice. That was just, you know, what might happen. But this time, he was choosing to leave me and go it alone, and it was really difficult on me. Um, Paul continued to become more difficult and desperate, and I knew we needed outside help. And Paul needed a man to talk to him from a different perspective. We'd, we have never entertained divorce, and we never will. But we got to a place where he had to say, um, we're going to stay married, but we're not going to do this anymore. Um, so it's real important to tell you that going outside of yourself and asking for assistance from professional counselors is sometimes the best thing you can do for your marriage. And believe me, from my culture and my upbringing, this is probably the last thing that I would have ever done. Um, samurai doesn't need any help. <laughs> we don't bleed. We just put dirt in it and we move on. That's kind of how we roll. So ultimately, you do need to show your spouse you're sincere about wanting to make changes and trying to bring accountability into your marriage. Um, at one point, we saw a counselor together, Timothy Smith. Um, I, I needed to show Leanne that I was sincere, and going into his office displayed that for her. Um, this wasn't like a long-term thing where it was two, three, four years. It was just a few sessions that just basically just someone to kind of just switch the switch for me, right? Because you're kind of in a pattern, and it's a bad pattern. And uh, you get into isolation and thinking that you kind of are on what you're doing is right. So Timothy Smith was that kind of guy that just kind of switched, switched it for me to kind of get me out of my bad pattern. Anyway, um, sometimes in the church we can kind of quote Bible verses and read books and get in a place of just learning, 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 which is, and just always learning. But we do need someone to help us see where we are operating out of a place of wounding and also where we are operating out of a pattern of our sin, interrupting our patterns like I just said before, and, and help us take action learning new ways and new ways of thinking to turn and walk in a different direction. You know, we're, as men, we're just hard-headed. We're going down this path, and this is the path we're going in. It's like literally running downhill, and we don't want to disrupt that path. And so we just need to change it, and we need to change it quickly. Um, so it's my personal conviction that we as men are just so proud and we won't ask for help. Um, I'm right there. I'm, I'm the proudest of the proud. I also think we don't value older people enough. Um, it really needs a change within our culture of this church I've seen, within reality. Um, the culture of peer group interaction and community is awesome. It's great. But we need to be sharpened, so we need to look to couples that are like a couple life stages ahead of us. Um, they have amazing knowledge, their life, amazing life experiences um, that a peer group just can't provide for you. Um, listen, we're, this is a naturally competitive world. We're just all naturally competitive, right? What's your kid getting in grades? What, what, how are they doing in soccer? Um, what college are they going to? Et cetera, et cetera. It just goes on and on. Um, and living life is no exception. So what does that mean? Um, don't look to your peers. Um, as you only receive assurances when really sometimes we need a swift kick in the butt of reality and perspective. Uh, couples that are a, a couple life stages ahead of you aren't worried about um, the new car you're driving, what grade your kids are getting, 
what beer you're drinking at your favorite brewery. They're concerned about you, uh, together as a couple, um, to steer you away from making foolish choices that can alter the course of your marriage and the marriage covenant that you took in front of God and all the people you love. That was awesome. Huh. <laughs> um, when we resort to selfishness and just trying to get our own needs met, by using our spouse, we miss two huge blessings of lifelong marriage. And uh, the first of the two blessings is the blessing of sanctification. And we've talked about how marriage shows our selfishness and our sin. And the blessing of sanctification, what it does is it helps us to grow up together and to grow up in him. And your spouse can actually be one of the most trusted people in your life to speak the truth in love. God has so much more for you, and we just really want to encourage you to find that, that trusted person who knows you the best and, and begin to build that safe place, and don't let the enemy rip you off. You know, my personal sanctification has come um, through, I don't know if you, who's heard of love languages? You know what it is? Okay. So um, my love language is words of affirmation. So what I would like to do is write Paul love notes, leave little notes on his steering wheel, leave him voicemails. Wow. And uh, he just wants me to like wash the dog, wash the car, <laughs> keep the house up, go grocery shopping. Uh, you know, his love language is acts of service. And so if you understand the love language concept, what it, it, what it has to do with is that usually we enjoy being loved. Um, usually we like to love people, I should say, in the way we most enjoy being loved. We understand it. It's easy for us. And um, one of my favorite examples of this that really shows the devastation that can occur in a marriage is that if you have a husband who is, you know, high power executive, running around all the time, tons of money, spending all his time and effort on lots of business trips and gone and appointments. And he has his secretary send his wife roses. Well, for that wife, it can come off so cheap because that's not really a love language that was most expedient for him, right? He had the money, had an assistant, she got it done. So in a situation like that, time could be the most amazing show of love to her, but that costs him, right? Which is why she likes it. Um, but uh, so anyway, for me, the blessing of sanctification has come to really understand that Paul likes me in the garden, working shoulder to shoulder with him. He, um, he doesn't need my love note. He needs me to, like, plant the tree. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I've been... That's never going to happen. <laughs> it's going to happen this week. So <laughs> it has to because we're closing escrow and they're requiring trees. So uh, <laughs> they got me. Um, so anyway, enough about me, but you understand the blessing of sanctification. Oh, boy. How uh, are you being sanctified, honey? Well, for me... Uh, let's see, God has me on a path of mutual understanding. I'm getting, you'll get tired of that saying here. Uh, I want to get to a solution phase and skip the mutual understanding. But I have learned, especially through the warning verse in 1 Peter, which is, live with your wife in an understanding way unless your prayers be hindered, that I need to stay with my wife and walk along the same path in the same direction at the same pace. I want to run my life like I'm a Navy SEAL team member. But God has... That's true. <laughs> he should have been a Navy SEAL. Has taught me that love is patient, love is kind, and it takes longer 
but we do arrive together in peace, and that is a good thing for everyone. Um, like Leanne said, when we resort to selfishness and just trying to get our own needs met by using our spouse, we miss two huge blessings of lifelong marriage. And the second blessing of lifelong marriage is the blessing of support. It's Romans 12:15, Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. And for me, coming down with a brain infection, like Leanne said, about 15 years ago, I didn't remember where I put Tyler, my two-and-a-half-year-old son, and where Leanne was, and uh, who was the president, and uh, literally not having a memory of uh, more than a few seconds was a really scary place to be. Um, by the time I got around with my mind and working again, uh, I was lying in a hospital bed learning I missed the birth of my son, second son, Caden, um, 14 days of his life. It took me about two and a half months to get my strength back. And going back to trading, which is um, ironic enough, it requires so much of your brain, not physical, just your brain, was kind of an interesting thing to happen to me, was emotional and scary. Uh, I kept asking myself, what if I can't add the numbers like I used to? Um, I remember the first time Leanne and I got to see each other, she came to my bedside and we just stared at each other and literally had to help me into the shower, undress me, wash my hair and body. Um, and she would just basically dress me and nurse me back to health. And I could not have faced that life without my wife. Um, for me, in just talking about the blessing of support and rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep, um, I have to say this last couple of years have been the worst of my life. And uh, last year was incredibly stressful. And then the bottom of my life fell out. And then my dad died. And some heavy things happened then after that in my family. And it just felt like every time I tried to get up, I would get pushed back down to the floor by life. It was just like one blow after another. And um, last September, we dropped off Tyler in college, our firstborn. And I remember driving down the coast from San Luis Obispo and just looking out the window, just sad, you know, happy, sad. Like, so happy my kid can go to college, but then so sad of how fast it goes. And then I got a call in the car that my dad was dying and I needed to go straight in the car, straight to his bedside to say goodbye to him. And it was just a lot for me to handle in that moment. And my dad died quickly thereafter. And I'll just never forget how kind my husband was. I think he really had true empathy for me from losing his father. And I just really didn't want to get out of bed. Like, I did stuff because I have kids, and I didn't want to let Paul down, but I would have just laid there. Forget it. And Paul would lay next to me, and he would hold my hand, and he would just be quiet, and he would just listen to me. And sometimes he would just listen to me cry, just hold my hand, and he's just really good at just being with me. And I can't even imagine going through life without that kind of support. It was um, 
the best I've ever experienced as far as support. So in closing, the word we want to leave with you today is that we all have the power to build or tear down. And if you think about the analogy of building a house, if you poured the foundation and the inspector came out to, the, to inspect it and found cracks on 40% of the foundation, only a fool would keep building on it. Right, Joe? Joe's a contractor and he does concrete, so he knows. <laughs> so the expert who reviews the foundation is analogous to God, and we'd be fools to blow off the clear warning issued and just keep adding weight and even stairs in a second level to the house without addressing the foundation. And we fear some of you just keep going right now. You keep adding layer upon layer when your foundation is severely compromised. Maybe you have not dealt with your porn addiction. Maybe you've not dealt with your alcohol. Maybe you've not dealt with your debt or your codependency or your affair or your hidden part of your life that nobody knows. And what we really want to say to you today is that you're not different. And if you think your house won't fall down, it will. It's just time. Things need to be dealt with, and we have to heed to the warning and deal with things. We beg you, go to God's word for how to build your life and heed the warning when you are not to keep building on something flawed. It's not so much to go to talk to counselors. That's not what we're saying. Counselors and pastors are amazing, and the way Paul used them really changed our life. He understood that they could point him to God and point him to God's design, and they could walk with him and hold him accountable. That's why it worked. I mean, we just think it's really important to emphasize the fact that the point is to heed the warning. The point is not to go talk to someone to make yourself feel better, right? and then to make the necessary changes in our hearts and lives. So uh, God created marriage for his glory, to love each other through a lifetime, to grow up together in him and supporting each other. And when you really think about it, support is the opposite of conflict. Um, we hope this talk encourages you to build your marriage within God's system of love where together you work through and resolve conflict, you grow up together in the Lord, and enjoy the many blessings God gives through marriage. Thank you so much for listening to us. Thank you.